Welcome to another episode of A Little on the Long Side. I'm John Purchase. Sitting with me is Jim Henderson. How are you, Jim? Good to see you again. Hey, John. I don't know why I say that. We work together. I see you all the time. I know, but it's different when we step back in in the room. When we get into Studio B. No, it's like like we've just kind of stepped into a different dimension. Yeah. It is kind of like, yeah, hey, John, how you doing? Yeah, this is a different Jim and John than the Jim and John that sit two walls away from here. Right, right. Yeah. But it's always interesting because you you make me think about things that are important to me. And and, we've talked about environment and downsizing and a few other things. And you kind of tickle my my brain and get me ruminating about things that... that, uh, that you start to muse again. Yeah, yeah. So what what do you, what do you want? What do you? Well, we, what do you... we've talked a lot about community, uh, the importance of it, the importance of uh, sustaining it and being involved in it, and taking taking part in in important groups and charities. And and you've brought up uh, Friends of Foster Children Forever, a group here that is very close to you for a number of reasons. And we are in the future going to be talking. We're going to have some of the folks from Friends of Foster in with us, but. To sort of tee that up, talk us a little bit through Friends of Foster, uh, the importance of it, your involvement in it, and, uh, and, and how it affects our kids locally here. I'd like to just kind of tell uh, the little story of how we got involved. And I, did I mention this in, in a previous episode? I don't believe you I have. Mean, uh, these things in, it, that I think about, and I talk to a lot of people about I can't remember whether it's part of a podcast, so forgive me if you've heard this, but... Um, Friends of Foster Children Forever has been around for a number of years. Not forever, but uh, the reason we use forever actually is because a few years ago on the board, I'm on the board of directors, uh, we wanted to add in that uh, that our mentors and our teachers that are involved, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, what, how mentors actually change these children's lives. But uh, we wanted people to know that uh, our mentors and teachers are staying with these kids through high school, the same child that they mentor and tutor at maybe four or five years old they're going to stay with them until they get on and have a successful life so we just wanted that word forever in there and uh, so it it kind of talks a little bit more it says what we're doing and and it's more of a long-term commitment but i originally got involved several years ago because um, sue huff she does our pr and marketing e sue huff marketing and pr she had been working with us for about a year or so uh, helping us with our PR and marketing. She does a lot of nonprofits, and that's kind of her specialty. And um, she didn't know anything about my background. She just somewhere along the way ran into the the small group, Friends of Foster Children, which is what it was called before we put the forever in there. And uh, she recommended the, the young uh, administrative assistant that was kind of running things to stop by and, and talk to me about and uh, whether we might be willing to sponsor their gala, their their yearly fundraiser. And so this gal, Jennifer, stopped in at the office here and she had a brochure and, and some paperwork and she just was very enthusiastic and asked if we were gonna be interested in uh, sponsoring. And I said, well, we typically don't sponsor without knowing a little bit more about what the organization does. and. And so I asked her if she could tell me a little bit of what it meant to be in foster care. And she sensed that maybe I was a live one. I was going to get involved. And so she said, you know, maybe we could have lunch with our our president of the board, uh, 
Doug Campbell. And I said, oh, that'd be great. And so the following week, we got together and had lunch, and they presented a little bit more of what it foster children, what happens in their home and whatnot. And I think it was at that luncheon that I actually let them both know that I actually had grown up in foster care and uh, that I was very interested in helping out. And at this point, they had told me a lot of what their mission was, and it just seemed like it was very grassroots. Uh, not a lot of people knew about the organization, and uh, particularly what we did. You know, were we providing diapers for kids? Were we? What was our function? In fact, when I first got involved, it was a lot of hands-on little things here and there. But uh, we also were beginning to see that education was important. So anyway, that was several years ago, and, and we've really evolved uh, in the community as, as, as an education to the community about what it means to be in foster care. And, and I alluded to this in another podcast, some of the statistics, and I'm going to throw them back out there because it's fascinating. A little bit about the cycle of foster care. Um, children that end up in foster care are born into a, usually into a high at-risk family. There's substance abuse, uh, alcohol, uh, physical, mental, psychological, sexual abuse going on. And these families are reported, usually a family member, uh, an aunt or an uncle knows that there's an abuse going on and they try to intervene. um, And usually there's this... We're talking about, to pardon the interruption, we're talking about abuse that's happening between a foster parent and a foster child. Is that right? No, 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 no. The the, the at-risk... Let me, yeah, let, let's, that's thanks. I, I want to make it clear. This is before they become a foster child. Okay. So there's, there's different levels. There's kids that are born to an addict and the child is taken away at birth. Mm-hmm. And they're whisked away and put into foster care. And, and a lot of times the, those parents will just give them up for adoption and they're adopted right away. Children born into those kind of high-risk uh, environments where the parents don't want anything to do with them uh, are adopted like there's such a demand for it actually mm-hmm. uh, but that isn't always the case uh, oftentimes they're born uh, maybe the the issues in this natural home that they're born into the the husband and, and wife the father and the mother will have several children uh, before there's a point at which maybe their addictions or their their inability to properly care for the children and the, the, the state, uh, usually whatever state it is, state welfare department, will intervene and take custody of the children by force. There's a whole process. They, they, uh, they have to go to the courts. Uh, someone has to give sufficient evidence that, that the children are, are at risk. And I guess this is the, the hard thing for a lot of people to understand is to be taken out of a home. The, the abuse has to be pretty excessive. Uh, there's a couple of websites out there where you can find out what happens in at-risk homes. Uh, I read a statistic, 7.1 million cases of abuse are reported a year in the United States, 7.1 million. That's kind of a staggering number. Yeah, and, and it might be multiple reports with the same family over the course of a year as well. And, and a, a, actually, that's what happens. The reports become more and more frequent. And then there's this this risk of death and uh, serious injury, uh, and so then then the advocate of uh, state welfare uh, advocates come in and and remove the children. Now 
in our case, I, and I'll just tell you a true life story. I, I, I was removed when I was four, and uh, along with um, several other siblings. So what they do is uh, somebody will come, and back when I was removed, it was early 60s, uh, a, a station wagon, you know, fairly good size one, because you've got your... Uh, there's not much notice. Being four, I didn't, I didn't quite understand what was going on. My older brothers did and sisters. Um, so they usually come late afternoon, uh, pick you up. You have whatever you have in a, in a backpack or in, back in the day, I think it was a pillowcase. You take two pillowcases of whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you're put into usually a holding home, uh, just a temporary home until they can find more permanent because a lot of times it's it's sudden. It's gotten to a point where uh, you're just brought out to at the nick of time, and to avoid violence and whatnot, sometimes there's police and whatnot involved. And uh, anyway, the children are removed and put into these foster homes. And uh, the the holding home, you might be there. I I vaguely remember maybe being there for a month or so, and then we went to another home again. I think maybe ten or fifteen miles away, in the same town, same area to a home where it was a single woman, older woman, her husband had died, and she took in children. Uh, I think she cared to the best she could, but she, it was a way for her to make money. I mean, and and, and that's the, the reality of a lot, a lot of foster. Yeah. And, and, and and don't don't get me wrong, there's amazing foster parents out there. We, we have a, a two or three of them in our church, and they're absolutely phenomenal parents. This is something that I want to kind of convey and, and, and a lot of people don't understand the reason foster children are the highest at risk and have the lowest success rate in in life just life in general is because the abuses the atrocities in the number of times they come in and in and out of homes totally disrupts their childhood and and there is no focus on education the last thing on your mind is school and uh, I was one of the lucky ones. We can talk about that another time. But what happens is um, a, a number of these parents that uh, they've got issues, uh, substance or, or psychological, mental issues, they mean well. They just can't, can't see things. Their kids are taken away. A lot of them will get clean and sober. They will go into counseling. You know, so maybe nine months or a year, they're given custody back to the, the children are given you know, back to these parents. Back to the natural parents. So let's say in, in uh, wasn't in my situation, it didn't, didn't really happen until I was much, much older. But let's say I was in a nice home where the, the foster parents liked, really cared and nurtured and, and whatnot. And so now I'm attached to this family that pays attention to me. And, uh, and now I'm taken and I'm put back into that home that all I have is horrible memories, mm-hmm. uh, physical abuse or just neglect, etc. So I got those images and I'm going back to it as a child. That's just psychologically, it's, it's, it's devastating. And let's say maybe everything's fine for a year, but then something happens at work, the guy loses his job, or maybe it's a temper thing, or, and then people, they go back into their habits and uh, the children are taken out again. And now they don't go back to that same home because that those foster parents maybe have taken in someone else. Uh, and now you're going into another home and it's only been two years and you've been, uh, went into a temporary home, went to another home, went back to the year natural home, went to yet another home and it's only been two years. 
Yeah. Um, There's a lot of bouncing around. Yeah. So the kids tend to get lost uh, in the shuffle. And I, I get pretty emotional about the, the lack of ability for states to really understand the plight of these children. And I, I guess I can't, I shouldn't fault them, but at the same time, I know that unfortunately these a lot of us are in these homes uh, because part of a government system and and the caseworkers that come and check up on you seem to be pretty responsible they really care uh, but they tend to don't last more than a year or less because so many kids are there's more kids than there are homes so they're pretty much forced to kind of turn turn the head and let things happen even if they know that the foster home isn't that good mm-hmm. Because what are they going to do? Well, yeah, limited options to begin with. So I, mean, I think that their hands are tied, but also I think there is there is a fair amount of bureaucracy. So how does Fender Foster Children Forever, how does this uh, impact these kids? And I I, uh, I just, it's really important for, for li- people listening to know that there's, there's no stability. Uh, once you're born into an at-risk family, Unless somehow miraculously at a very early age you're adopted by loving parents and that environment that you would have grown up into just disappears. Very rare that a foster parent takes a a child, a baby, from birth, adopts them, and and everything goes smoothly. It's very, very rare Mm -hmm. because they're not going to go into foster care from from the hospital, from, from the birthing room necessarily if there's a waiting list for adoptive parents so we 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 know friends that adopted right they knew about the at-risk babies the mother had already signed off didn't want to have the baby and they just picked up the 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 baby at the at the hospital and and that was their baby right uh and and i know several friends in our age that that did that uh so those are the success stories those are the ones where you know everything goes fairly smoothly and and what the bad ones are when there's no home for them. They go into foster care. They get taken back out, go into the natural home. So that bouncing back and forth instability, is it, it, it plays havoc with these kids, and, and they have no sense of uh, stability. Sure. That's fairly – well, you've shared with, with me uh, stats uh, yeah. on like high school graduation right. percentages. Yeah, it's there. like 46% yeah. of, of high school – of foster children graduate. It's the lowest uh, graduation, I think, group – in any socioeconomic demographic group in the United States. I mean, inner city, poor, all of these things, the worst of worst conditions in inner city have a higher graduation rate than foster children. And even if you're, you're in an abusive home and if you survive it mentally, physically, and, and emotionally, there's the fact that you know what to expect. And then you have your classmates and there might be an opportunity to be inspired with teachers or something. You're not being moved from home to home from state to state or uh, or county to county. Uh, you, you have your friends, you have something. But when you're taking out over and over again, uh, and, and many many of us might see six homes by the time they're 10. Yeah, so that's a lot. Well, that's yeah. That's a lot when you have a perfect household and oh, a yeah. natural family. Right, yeah, I mean, we know of people that their parents are in the military and they move every three or four years. That's every three or four years with the same parents. Right. <laughs> So yeah. it's a lot different. You don't like it, but at least you you know you, you've got parents that have a career. Yeah, that's stability. Your family is the stability. stability. Yeah. So very low percentage, um, and so if you look at it, 
in the state of Florida, we have, I think, upwards to 24 to 26,000 now uh, foster children. It's really accelerated, like it's increased almost 20-something percent in the last three years because of opioids. Mm-hmm. In fact, I know two uh, restaurant workers, uh, female, younger females that have lost their kids because of their opioids. I know knew them personally. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, it was just uh, last summer we were working on... Uh, the Benson Street house, and I asked the uh, the guy that was doing the tile. I said, "Whatever happened to so and so?" And she said, oh, "He said, oh, yeah, she lost her kids." Uh, and in fact, he was dating one of these gals. Uh, and same thing, both of these per- people worked at this one place, and their opioid addiction uh, cost them their children, and their children are in foster care now. Yeah. And so, so that's it's gone up a lot. So I, I don't know what it is this year. It was around twenty four thousand a few years ago. But anyway, if you just think about the 54-55% that uh, don't finish high school. Well, high school, if you look at the national average pay just for the high school degree, is around twenty-seven, twenty-eight thousand, 28000 And that's, that's it with the high school degree. <laughs> Only, here's the other one. Only 2%, 2 to 3% right now go on to a post-secondary school. You know, two-year, or I went to a two-year school because... Again, the story will unfold eventually over what, what I did, but I was able to leave at 17 and uh, go into a two-year school that I paid for myself through scholarships and, and whatnot. But that's the best I could do to support myself because you don't have a fam- no family whatsoever. Anyway, 2% will go on to, to get a degree. If you get a two-year degree, your, your average uh, pay actually gets up to borderline, not poverty. Um, and with with a specialty in something I, I got into electrical engineering and technical things working on nuclear subs and so the pay was good and and then it actually helped advance my career and and here i am today mm-hmm. so what happens with these these kids that don't finish high school that are making less than um 25 26 000. Uh, actually a non-graduate makes under twenty thousand. that's not nearly enough to to pay rent in most places right right let alone feed a family so here's what happens is um the the boys the the young boys i had a brother who's 13 months older i think they call him an irish twin or something like that <laughs> you know boom boom <laughs> so uh, he never finished high school he he got into alcohol and drugs and, and which is typical of young men who don't finish high school and and there's a lot of emotional things there's a lot of um anger my brother was very angry at everybody uh he just ran away we didn't even know where he was for several years just disappeared and so 80 percent of the people in prison and most of them are men 80 percent never finished high school so if you take just statistically 80 percent of that 55 percent 54 percent that didn't finish high school of the 24,000, we're talking around 18,000 kids potentially could be in prison yeah of that group uh of of uh, i'm sorry not 18 around nine 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 thousand ninety one hundred i think i did the math of a while back I said, over nine thousand yeah a, lot, in, in a prison. lot of kids well the ones that don't go to prison are usually girls and the girls will get pregnant between 16 between 15 and 17 years old because they don't have any identity they don't they have low self-esteem uh they are a target for young men sexually and a lot of them will end up pregnant 
and they, they don't have any hope. And so a lot of them, and I know some of the ones here that are in some of these um, girls, uh, teenage girls schools now that, that these girls get pregnant and they came out of foster care. Uh, but they'll learn real quick that if they have three or four kids, the state welfare system will give them sure. housing. Subsidize, subsidize their existence, yeah. And so that's their only hope. They didn't get a high school education. So education is the key, is, is what I want to say. It, it becomes the escape from the cycle. Because if you could think about the kid that goes to prison or the kid that has three or four uh, children and, and basically just think of the scenario, the two young girls that I told you about, neither one of them are married. They're living with guys, um, getting subsidized, and then eventually their lives fall apart and they succumb to drugs or alcohol and then their kids get taken away just like what happened to them. Mm -hmm. So that cycle is hard to break. It's very hard. And the number one way to break it is education. So let's go back to Friends of Foster Children forever. Uh, so came on the scene several years ago, told them my story. Uh, I spoke publicly the first time. Even my, my, my children had never heard me speak. You were there. Mm -hmm. I was. Hamilton Yacht Club. Yeah. It was a tough one. Yeah. But as you get older, you know that your purpose is to give back. Friends of Foster has been a wonderful way for you to do that. Yes. It directly addresses a lot of the things that you went through yourself and affords some level, perhaps not physical protection for these kids. No. But uh, opens up a lot of doors and provide them with a lot of support that they certainly wouldn't have uh, without it. Yeah, and I think I've been a, a voice within the board to help direct our funding and direct our, our resources to the thing that's most important. And that is uh, we are so laser focused on assessing. Early assessment is key. Assessing where these kids are. If, are they two years old? Getting them into a, a really decent daycare. Not just a daycare, but a mm -hmm. daycare where uh, the basics are being met and the fundamental needs because uh, that's something these kids need at a very young age is some sense that somebody cares. Yeah. They're not just dumped off. Not just, a, not just housing during the day. No, no. Uh, and so we're very picky about uh, the assessment of where they're at the types of uh, daycare that they need to get into. And as they get into four or five years old, into progressive ones that, that have uh, education as their base. And then we assign the tutor, the mentor, if you will. Uh, and it's it is process. So now it's almost, they become the surrogate parent from, from an education perspective. And, and so many of our tutors will stay with these children no matter what home they go to. So that's where I was able to really say this is this is where the rubber meets the road is consistency it, and it doesn't take a lot because unlike a normal home where you just expect to go home and there's going to be food and your dad and your mom's going to be there and you're going to go to t-ball and right. unlike right. that you don't know what you're going to run into you don't know what to expect so if you have one thing that you know is good it it changes these children's lives like i can't even explain we had uh, this home i was in she had a, a son who was i think fairly wealthy again you know i was in a northern maine in a home with no running water and it was it was pretty destitute by today's standards it was a place where i wasn't being abused 
well, well, that's another story. We won't even go into it, but uh, it, it was, it had a lot of issues. But I remember every summer, this this son who lived uh, out near the Cape in Massachusetts, that uh, I was able to go and spend a week or a week and a half. I think it uh, it seemed like only a a day because sure. it went so fast. But it was so cool to be a part of a normal family. I mean, they had two daughters. I think I had a crush on one of them. I was like five or six and she was like 10, but you know me with the older women, John. <laughs> so I do. I do. <laughs> Don't tell my wife. Never. <laughs> so our little secret. <laughs> secret. Uh, anyway, I could laugh about these things now because I, I survived, you know, but one of the things was just putting that in front and when I left and I went back to the home, I would cry for about two weeks. I, sure. I just because you just you were so attached to it. But then you start you get over it and you realize, okay, it's only another year. It's only, you know, eleven months, two weeks. It's ten months. And you count the days and then you go. And almost everything else is bearable. When that and that's just one thing. Yeah. So with these kids, what people don't understand is their life is upside down and, and you have somebody that takes time to listen to you and talk to you and help you with your schoolwork? Man, that's huge. Yeah. How, what, how are we on time, John? Are we, cause I, oh, we're okay. I, uh, and, and just go ahead. for those of us, uh, uh, for those of you rather, uh, who are interested in learning more about Friends of Foster uh, Children Forever, go to their website, friendsoffosterchildren.net. Uh, there you can get all the contact information if you want to speak to uh, speak to the folks there. They're they're fantastic to deal with. Um, some of the some of the kindest people I've met in uh, in my 15 years here at Naples. Um, but please continue. Say it. yeah. Well, so feel yeah. free to check out their website while you're well, eavesdropping. Let me, in. let me throw something in there, an ad for them because we're we're uh, we're, we're all right now uh, dealing with a, a virus that that we don't know about and. And a lot of things have been canceled. Well, our big fundraiser this year uh, sure. was just canceled. It was supposed to be this Friday. I was going to be, it was a Venetian Mardi, or not Mardi Gras, Venetian costume party. So yes, the, the uh, Venetian masquerade ball. Masquerade ball. ball. And, and so Thank you, coronavirus. I know. So we, we had to cancel it. And, and, and like many, many others, these are critical, mm-hmm. critical fundraisers. So when you go into the site, look at something. They're, they're going to do some, we're going to do some online auctions, uh, online uh, things that, that we couldn't do. And uh, we really, really depend on our gala to bring in about 700000 And And uh, you have to be there part of it to really get the, that momentum and get the people bidding on things. And the last couple of years, it's been awesome, but we're really missing out on that. So feel free to to jump in and donate, bid on some things if you find them online. We've been a lot of emails just today, back and forth between the board and, and our executive uh, director, Ann, Ann Hughes, who came over from the uh, Community Foundation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she's. we've been coming up with some ideas to get people involved with some auction items. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, but even now, prior to all, uh, all the auction items and the gala items winding up on their website, you can still go to friendsoffosterchildren.net and just go to the link ways to donate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the donating cars before. Yep. There's, yep. there's all, all kinds of programs. You can get involved uh, uh, volunteering with them. Oh yeah, uh, so lots spend, of opportunities. Yeah. We one of the really cool things they do in the in the Christmas time, John, and this is just so cool. 
uh, my wife gets involved with it. Jermaine, uh, everyone's heard of Jermaine. The they basically sell every car made on earth, <laughs> and and you know from Fort Myers to Naples, and they're huge, huge donors to Friends of Foster Children Forever. Oh, that's great. Nicole Nicole Jermaine and her dad have been amazing. They've donated hundreds of thousands, and what their program is, they donate. I, I believe close around twenty thousand every Christmas for Christmas presents for these kids. And here's the thing: you've got siblings, and you're in these foster homes. The foster parents uh, don't have enough money necessarily to get presents for their siblings that might be in another home. So what they do is they have this uh, once a year uh, before Christmas. They meet up at at a Walmart, and these kids get like a twenty-five or fifty-dollar gift certificate for each of their siblings. And again, most all of it donated by Jermaine. Buy Jermaine cars. They're great people. They're wonderfully, wonderfully uh, uh, supportive of what we do. And these kids get to go and pick out presents for their siblings. And my wife every year seems to get like a three-year-old or a four-year-old. And, and, and I've got this picture of her in Walmart with this little girl. It looked like Sue Who. And it's just the backside of her, and she's wandering down the aisle, and, and Nan's holding her hand. And I said, how does that go with, like, a four-year-old? She says, well, it's kind of hard. I say, so do you have a brother? Yeah. How old is he? I don't know. Or, or more like 100? <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, do you have a parents? No. Or all these questions, and they... I don't know what I would have said when I was sure. four. I, I didn't even know that I was in a different home, kind of. You know, you just yeah. kind of go with the flow. It's not until you get older you realize, oh, wait a minute. This is weird. <laughs> but uh, the ones that are older than four are a little little easier to work with. <laughs> but but God love my wife. She she does this with these little kids and, and uh, helps them pick out something for maybe a brother <laughs> Yeah. Or a sister, because that's kind of important. Are you getting a doll, or are you getting a toy you, truck? You know, you know, what are you getting for the? So, anyway, it's so cool. To, and so, yeah, you can you can volunteer for that. Sign up and and be a sponsor because they're always looking for them. I I personally can't do it. I I I you know me. I'm so emotional. I I would <laughs> I just sit there and cry. Yeah. You know, uh, or I just want to buy the store or yeah. something for all the kids. So I, I I let my wife do that, and and so it's really cool. We all have our part, but yeah, that's that's a cool thing. There's uh, and you see that in the site. It comes up uh, early December every year, but we also do the um, the uh, backpacks for kids back to school and, and school and we, supplies. The, and they well, they have a whole fair day, and and aren't we involved with that? Yeah, yeah. we've we've done their uh, their back to school. I don't know what you'd call it. It's like a blitz. It's a fair. It's, it's, a, it's amazing. It's a school fair, and they do it at, at a school campus over in Golden Gate mm-hmm. or wherever. I think they've I'm, done it at the library a few times, at the community center, right. and they'll bring out folks to give haircuts to yeah. the kids and all the school uh, supplies. Yeah, and, and dentists. Right. And, and, yeah, yeah, medical well, providers come out to yeah. give services to those who can't afford it. Yep. In years past, uh, there, have been, there was a, a, a large, well-known mattress company that was kind enough to donate hundreds and hundreds of these top quality mattresses to families who foster children who couldn't afford a good bed and we got involved with storing those yeah. and then bringing those over and giving i remember the first time and and we just had a pickup day where people just came with cars and we st- tied them to the top of yeah. their cars yeah. and so but it's, it is it is amazing it's it's heartwarming and uplifting to see the the kind of people that get involved the germains that yeah. certainly are, are at the top of the list of, of great people who donate and and keep friends of foster children going every year 
And uh, yeah, we hope that if you're listening, you'll spend a few minutes on the site and, and consider yeah. donating too. Hopefully here soon, provided the, you know, the powers that be don't lock us all in our homes for the next two months, we'll have Anne, uh, yeah. Yeah. the big boss at uh, Friends of Foster, come by and spend some time with us. And, and you can hear this right from her. Uh, not that you don't know what you're talking about, Jim. No, no, no. But what, what's what's neat? I'm on the board. Frankly, and I, I think people are tired of hearing us. They yeah, like they, to get yeah, some yeah. fresh, fresh voices. Well, you know, and Ian uh, would have come on because we we really wanted to kind of promote the the, the gala this mm-hmm. year, and but you know it was a little too late, and everyone was busy with it, and we understood that. So we were going to get her in after the gala, but we didn't have that, and now it's we're scrambling a little bit to get. Because a lot of these kids depend on going to school to get the services that they need. That's right. So um, we're we're scratching our head and seeing how we can uh, mobilize and 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 get these uh, these kids, these uh, foster kids, the the services that they aren't getting at school now. Right. And so, but yeah, uh, schools are closed down for what? Uh, like through the end of April at least. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, so. there's a lot of lot of kids that are going to be hurting from that. Yeah. Any any at risk family. I mean, it's. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, it's hard to, to put my head around what it, what it's going to be like, uh, even for the kids that are in at-risk homes that aren't in foster care. But even if you're in a foster care home, and again, there are a lot of foster care homes, unfortunately, that are just as much at risk for these kids of being abused. Yeah. And, and, and it's a no-win situation for yeah. these kids. Big props to the families, to the foster families who are in it for the right reasons. Oh, though, my gosh. And give the love and, and stability and safety to these oh, kids yeah. that, that all deserve it. Uh, yep. You know, the kids are the innocent ones here. So right. So a lot of respect to those families that are in it for the right reasons and, and do such amazing thing. I mean, it's it's pretty difficult to raise a child under the best of circumstances and to, to take a, a kid who's had a rough go for whatever reason and to, to bring them into your family is just such a huge thing. So well, even on the fringe of uh, being involved with friends of foster, uh, it's just, I get to see it and it's, I'm glad, I'm glad I get to be a part of it on the little, little bit that I, that I am. So, but uh, with that, we're, we have gone on the long side today. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. So we'll wrap longer. this one. Um, and we'll be back again soon with Anne from Fence of Foster and many, many other really thrilling topics that will keep you riveted and your ear pressed up against the speaker. Thanks, John. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. And until the next time. <laughs>